everybody. We are back. I'm Tyler Stallman, and I've got with me Cameron Whitman once again. Hello, hello. Today we wanted to have a conversation about lenses, building out a kit, and when it is right to go in the direction of a zoom versus a prime lens. Uh, prime lens, if you don't know, is like a fixed focal length. Mm-hmm. And anyone was saying when we do these shows, we should. I, I don't want to do it at a kind of entry level, but in case anybody's watching who isn't super familiar with how lenses work, I guess let's start off with what are the really basic, not even advantages, but features, let's just say features of zooms versus primes. You mean you start? Uh, well, I think that one of the, the most obvious ones is probably the um, vibration reduction or image stabilization. I typically think of them as being kind of like novelty things, you know, that I don't really personally see much use in having said that i will say that it is quite convenient on a uh, 70 to 200 well yeah pro which, lens. which lenses have you seen it in the most like because i'm i'm canon you're nikon so we probably are familiar yeah. with completely different lenses for the most part but yeah it's it's interesting though because like for the pro zooms you know for nikon you have the 24 to 70 or you have the uh, 24 to 120 the 24 to 70 is actually a higher grade lens and it has less distortion and, and it's sharper throughout the entire range. And it doesn't have the vibration reduction. Then the 24 to 120 is the you know prosumer, I guess, version. And it does have the vibration reduction. So I, I, I kind of feel like, I don't know, it kind of feels like, you know, like it's trying to make up for the lack of speed, you know, because the 24 to 120 is a, is a constant four, whereas the other is a 2.8. Yes, yeah, so it's pretty close to the Canon lineup, which is a 24 to 105 is the other. And yeah, you're right that it, they kind of market it as a bit more prosumer. They're both in the L line for Canon, so they're both considered pro lenses. Mm-hmm. I find them both to be very sharp. Like, I'm not sure that I'd call the 24 to 105 any lesser quality, but the F4 is a whole lot slower um yeah and i don't bring it mean, out i don't bring it out for events or yeah and it's also it's i don't know i mean for me it's like shooting at f4 means that like i'm going for maximum sharpness most of the time because i'm shooting on really fast lenses where that's actually a, a pretty sweet spot um but on a on a zoom lens i find that f4 is not really all that attractive wide open mm-hmm and then you have to really stop it down. Like you have to stop it down to like F8 if you're going for maximum sharpness or F11 even, I guess. Right. Well, and that's why for me it ends up being the studio strobe lens that we, yeah, we'll use it, you know, usually around F8, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that leads to what I, what I think of pretty quickly with the zoom and prime comparison is that the prime lenses often are much faster. Yeah. For some uh, sciencey optics reason. It's a lot easier to, to, there's less moving parts. It's simpler mechanically, and you can pack more aperture into a lens that is only one focal length and sharpness and, and sharpness generally. Although, you know Mm -hmm. what, when I was making my decisions, I think I overestimated the sharpness factor. I think that I found that the pro zoom lenses were pretty close and that a lot of the fixed focal length cannons anyway, I was expecting them to be perfect all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not really the case. Like I, I always had this idea that a, a 50 millimeter 
fixed lens is, and especially the most expensive. So let's say on Canon, that's the 1.2. That's got to be the sharpest lens that exists, right? right. It's like a default lens at like a you know, medium range. And so if you shoot that at F eight, it's got to be the sharpest thing ever. And um, it is quite sharp, but it it's not blow your mind sharp. It's not, right. I mean, compared to the 70 to 200, it's not, um, I find the 70 to be 200 to be the, as, as sharp as anything else. Mm-hmm. Same with the Nikon version. It's even at two eight, it's just perfect every time. Yeah. Do you ever stop it down for sharpness? I find I never have to. Yeah. No, I, I would stop it down to get more depth of field, but not to. Yep. And, and I mean, okay. I think you just really opened the, the door to, to what it's really all about is that, you know, when you're picking a, a high quality lens versus just a versatile lens, it really just, for me, what it needs to be is sharp at every depth. Right. Like, so that's, that's one of the reasons why, um, I prefer the uh, Sigma art lenses to, um, just Nikon equivalents is because all the way open at one four, these lenses are still super sharp Yeah. where with the Nikon equivalents, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, a roll of dice, like one out of every five might be really tack sharp. You one know? out of five, you're lucky. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's just it. Right. Is that like, sometimes, sometimes you're surprised by how good they come out and most of the time you're disappointed, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. And that's um, not really a good enough average for me. Well, it's maybe not, let's hold off on the Sigma thing. I feel like we could mm-hmm. talk about Sigma's a lot and let's do <laughs> sure. that in a few minutes, but okay. so still just in the, just in the comparison, if we hold to that, it would the sharpness alone be enough for you to recommend or choose like at this point, do you choose between those lenses just based on sharpness? I find that the lineup that, that we own is now at the point that the zooms are all sharp enough that it's not a, uh, we don't have to choose based on that. Whereas if you have some cheaper lenses, you may be making your decisions a lot more based on the, if, if, you, if you have the kit zoom lens, then mm-hmm. moving to a prime from that is a much bigger step, I think. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know that, that sharpness is anymore like the, uh, the key factor for me. Like, I think that it was at some point, And I think that that's kind of like, but how do you, you know, it's, it's normal for people, you know, like the first thing that you think is like, how sharp is this lens? Yeah. And at and 100%. Then, yeah. And I think that when, when you're shooting a lot of portraits, um, sometimes sharpness isn't really all that much of a great thing. Yeah. You know, it really just depends on, on whose portrait you're taking and, and what effect you're going for. Well, but or, or if you go back to film for a little while, all of a sudden you're, you might care a lot less about sharpness. <laughs> yeah. That's actually a really interesting point. Cause I find that I, I shoot a lot of fast primes on film and they're not sharp at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the same, the same, like the Sigma that is extremely sharp on, on digital never looks tack sharp in, uh, in film. Yeah. I'm usually shooting, I, I shoot 435 a lot of the time. So I'm sure on, I'm sure it's a different story at 120, but I don't really shoot medium format. So yeah, no, I find that to be the case. I, I actually, whenever I have this conversation with people about the differences between film and digital, I actually think of 35 as being kind of like a, more of a lo-fi right. thing, you know, compared to digital. So I actually, that's what I like about it is yeah. that it's not, that's, it tracks me to it as well. Yeah. Cause it's, it's gritty. It's, it's, it's a little bit dirty and like, depending on the subject, like I think it just suits it better and it's got, you know, let's go back to our, our other conversation, but this goes, 
it just it offers up a unique color quality that you can't really replicate very easily yeah but i think that medium format like 120 actually looks a lot like what we're used to out of these high resolution digital cameras well or or better yeah because you've got the, the, <laughs> the larger focal field as well you've got that mm -hmm. um that extra nice depth of field that you get yeah which is that's my favorite part about shooting medium format it's just like you know if you shoot wide open on a medium format versus a 35 millimeter film camera there's just there's this crazy yeah the amount of depth and sharpness so yeah anyway different conversation yeah <laughs> uh, obviously the other part the other thing that you get with the zoom lens is the versatility so mm -hmm. we've kind of talked about the advantages of prime that they can shoot in lower light you can get a shallower depth of field look and they can be sharper under cer certain circumstances but the the zooms you can get a lot further with just one lens right you're not trapped into into one focal length or running back and forth or feeling like you really regret your lens decision which which can happen mm -hmm. when you're shooting a prime well and if you have too many lenses it happens a lot right Oh yeah. Yeah. Where totally. you're like, Oh man, I wish I had brought that, but you know, your bag is too heavy. So well, I find I've been more and more trying to just bring one lens. If I can, I yeah. try to get away with like one or two lenses all day if it's possible. Yeah. Like that's, that's how you're going to see it that day. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's actually a really strong exercise that, yeah. you know, for, for people who are, you know, maybe trying to get past the amateur phase and maybe advanced phases. I usually try to recommend people just picking out a focal length and going with it. Right. And get really comfortable with it, understand what it means and be able to be able to predict it before you take the photo. Like we were talking, or I was saying last time that when you're watching a movie, I like to play that game of guessing what focal length we're looking at. Mm -hmm. And that only comes from shooting, I think, prime lenses. You wouldn't get that if you only shot zoom lenses, because generally you don't look at what you just used. You have no idea what focal length you just shot. That's right. Unless and, you're all the way in or all the way out. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're just, you abuse that luxury so heavily yeah. because you're constantly going in and out and, and you're not really conscious of what the effects are well, at this length or this that length. The, the bad habit that it can build, especially if you're just starting out, is not moving or changing the focal length intentionally. Right. So you're like, well, I'm already standing here and I need to get closer to that thing across the room. So I'm just going to twist this. And I'm right. there, right? You don't think about like, well, what if I just take a few steps forward? What's the right. effect? Right. Um, What's the lens effect that's going to take place? And how is that either going to be pleasing? And you know, I, or, I think it can take a long time for a, a new photographer to stop. I just from conversations that to stop thinking mm -hmm. that that's just bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that it's like that i had that feeling for a while that's like oh you know 85 is better than 35 for portrait for a headshot it's like mm -hmm. why i have a 35 right here you're telling me i can't take a nice portrait with this <laughs> but you know after a while you're like oh you have to actually really use it for a while to start understanding what that difference means what compression yeah does or what a distortion does or not even distortion yeah. Yeah, there's just the, the, the feeling of um, as you come in with a wide lens close to a face, the feeling of presence Like mm -hmm. you know, the viewer knows, even if they know th nothing about photography, they know that the photographer and the subject have just gotten a lot closer together, um, which a uh, good example of it is in Amelie. I forget the director's name, but I also I was watching the Alien series the other day and noticing mm -hmm. that in Alien uh, Resurrection, 
It actually okay. has very similar camera work to Amelie. And I don't know if you've seen either of those movies. Yeah, I've seen them both. Yeah, but it's like, it's all very wide and he'll pull in really close for close ups. And it's a really distinct feeling. You're really right. You've, it's the feeling of pressing against the person's face. Oh, you, you know what? Another couple series I can think of from HBO is um, uh, Six Feet Under was a lot like that. Oh, you know, they used, uh, oh, well, you know, they, it's a similar thing. They'd use wide lenses. And and I think that in some cases, I felt like they were maybe using tilt shift lenses because there would be, you know, it'd be a wide view and there'd be like, it moved right up to the person's face for dramatic effect. But then all of a sudden, you know, you'd see in the way in the distance, this other person mm-hmm. and that other person was also sharp, but everything <laughs> right. in between was blur. Yeah. And it was just these two people interacting from a distance. And it was this really awesome camera work. And not actually boardwalk empire did that too. Oh, okay. I also don't watch, I don't watch enough TV, TV. I also watch movies. So. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that, uh, in, the social network has some nice tilt shift work though. Yeah, that's right. And that's, that's the fun thing about watching these, you know, these high budget shows on TV is that, you know, you can actually see a lot of the, the same tricks that they're doing in movies. Yeah. You know, whereas I, I think a network, you don't really see that nearly as much. I think to get some great information about prime lenses, a awesome thing to watch is the behind the scenes to the social network. Hmm. Like the, the thing on the DVD really, I mean, I don't know why this movie stuck with me so much. Like I watched it and I didn't really care, but it's just visually so great. It, I think just David Fincher, I've been kind of obsessed with lately. And he, um, so everything was shot all the way open. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the whole series is all on prime lenses shot at 1.3, I believe math, cool. the, the master primes. So like the focus pulling is intense. Like you still have characters moving the way they always do. And you're, tracking them and uh but it makes for a really distinct effect and re- if you if you watch the behind the scenes and rewatch that movie there's a lot there's a lot you start seeing in lens use that's it's a great example of understanding prime lenses i, I think how hard is that <laughs> to, to focus pull <laughs> like i'm just trying to think about it it seems like yeah like uh you know like a marathon oh yeah it's that it's that hard <laughs> well yeah think about the we were just saying you know you're lucky if you get one in five shots in focus yeah <laughs> but if you're shooting a movie you have to just keep getting in focus constantly yeah, as the person I, moves it's mystifying um, um go ahead <laughs> oh well i was gonna i was just gonna talk more about that decision making thing that the best argument if you're starting to use primes is definitely the education, the forcing you to make a conscious decision for every photo that you take. And that later on when you maybe have access to whatever tool you need for that shoot, the decision-making process can become a little different and your priorities can shift. Sure thing. You know, it's, it's interesting. Cause like I, that made me remember like, okay. So like uh, people ask all the time, you know, you, you've got to experience this as well. So anytime you're a pro shooter, everybody that, you know, comes to you and says like, Hey, I need advice. I'm going to buy a camera, Oh yeah, you know? And so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like every day. Right? So yeah. I get this a lot. And so usually the, the first reply I'm going to get or give is just, well, what do you want to shoot? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, most people don't start off saying, well, I want to shoot weddings and I want to shoot events or something, you know? So like whenever I get people's initial ideas about what they're after, I'm surprised that they even want to zoom. 
And I'm like, well, why do you want to zoom? Well, I just want the options. It's like, well, well, why? I mean, what do you You know? Everybody imagines the scenario where like, I'm going to be in Paris and I'll be (laughs) on a bridge and on the other bridge across the river, there'll be the perfect couple kissing and I'm going to need to zoom in a mile to get the perfect shot. And then I'll, I'll have my best image ever. And (laughs) just I, you don't really like, that's why like travel zooms are a category for compact cameras, but yeah. I just find that doesn't happen. I went on a three month trip at one point and I only brought a 50 millimeter mm-hmm. and I'm glad I did. And I yeah. feel like I could do that again. Cause it wasn't a, f- the, f- the trip wasn't about photography, but yeah, it really gets you comfortable with it when you just don't have anything else with you. When you only have, you don't even think about switching. You just think about how can I compose this shot better with what I have? Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, people are actually more primed for that than they realize because, mm-hmm. you know, most people that, that don't have like a DSLR or like a mirrorless or something like that, they're, they're used to shooting with their phone, mm-hmm. right? So they're, they're used to shooting at whatever, like, what is that? 28, 35 millimeter equivalent. That's what they're used to shooting everything at. And so like, that's actually exactly what I recommend to people is that like, right. if you're going to, if you're just starting out with a, uh, with a DSLR, explore what it really feels like to shoot with it and mm-hmm. get a 35 millimeter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the yeah. only thing really separating an iPhone camera, which, Oh, there's so much to say about that. Like speaking of prime lenses, talking about phones, but the only thing that really holds you back, I think, is that it is so wide, which offers a lot of great options. It is the right decision. That's what should be on phones. But imagine if it was a 50 mil equivalent. That'd be interesting, right? I mean, yeah. all of a sudden you'd, you'd be shooting people in a lot kind of nicer ways. It would affect the depth of field. Mm-hmm. It would um, it'd be really different. But th- just this one decision by I don't know, you know, Apple and Samsung has a massive effect on what all of the photography that we see every single day what it is and it's all Mm -hmm. you know in the range of between like 25 and 30 millimeters yeah and we've just kind of gotten used to that yeah i mean it's it's become quite i mean that's the way that we see though normally right and that's why they call those normal well 28 is a little bit wide but you know between between 35 and 50 is the normal length yeah i've read some really heated arguments about what the true (laughs) normal is uh, and yeah, well, I mean, to me, like 40, maybe <laughs> just split the difference. Well, yeah, because I mean, when you're looking through a lens, you're not, you don't, you don't have peripheral vision. So mm-hmm. that, that usually is what messes people up when they're c- considering that. But it really, what it is, is it's, it's, it's a focal length. It's, it's how you render. Right. I don't know how to talk about it. I don't know, like the, the lens science, but I know. <laughs> Do you ever feel like you will learn it someday? I've tried. I was trying to, um, I was trying to explain aperture the other day and I just stopped myself before giving the, the real explanation. I know it's something to do with, uh, the like ratio of the, the diameter of the lens to the sensor. Mm-hmm. It's somewhere in there, but I don't actually understand it. And I don't know. I feel like it'd probably be a good thing to know. Right. Would I take better <laughs> photos? No. No, no, <laughs> I thought no, that because be that, solution. I mean, I think that that, that works for some people, but I think that the honest truth is that like, there's, there's plenty of people that have no idea yeah. what they're using. And it's just a matter of like, you know, having a cause to use it. See, I always feel like cinematographers and filmmakers are more likely to know the real answer than a photographer. 
Yeah, you mentioned that before. Yeah, and I'll probably say it over and over. <laughs> I, I, that's like a really common theme to me is I have this, I'm, I'm very, fo- yeah, but it's really obvious to me that a lot of filmmakers spend so much more time hyper-focused on, re- they, they have to really understand what's about to happen when they take this, make, make, build this next shot because the budgets, there's so much more at risk. Um, yeah. You're dealing with, you know, moving environments and changing situations and potentially actors that are being paid a lot in a crew that is unionized and you're burning money constantly. So you need to get it right. And to do that, you can't do the same guesswork that we often do. Like, I don't use a light meter. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't get away with that. Yeah. Like, well, we have we do use them. We just don't. you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Not in the same way. No, not at all. Yeah. It's, but, um, that's just, I don't know. I just want to like explain why I'll end up bringing up cinematographers all the time. <laughs> and why you prefer them as people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe it's just their personalities. Well, um, it, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said about actually knowing and understanding hey, what you're. My cars. I don't know where we left off. So let's just pick up somewhere else. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> there's going to be a very disruptive cut there. If only we could put a commercial in the middle. Yeah, right. I have a question for you, though. Like, if if you were going to... All right, so why why use zoom lenses at all, right? I've started thinking more and more about having... Uh, well, we actually have been building out a full zoom kit now. There was one yeah. point that... I think it was when I was shooting more video, I started convincing myself I needed a complete prime kit, because that's mm-hmm. what you do. And... A lot of them just didn't see as much use, like the 24 um, or the 135. So what we end up using most, a lot of the the thing that I shoot most often is that uh, my wife has a style blog, so we're shooting outfit photos. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, it's like it's like dynamic portraits. So we're usually on location and we're moving around and we want to get a bunch of variety in about half an hour. And that's always the 70 to 200. Yeah. Unless weight is a problem. So for traveling, sometimes we will just have the 85 and the 85 I find to be really flattering for like, it's good. You can get a nice full body shot with it. If you back up enough, Mm -hmm. Um, it wouldn't be great for street photography, full body, but for somebody that you're working directly with, you know, you can get them about that distance. Yeah. So in that, the 7,200 is what sees the most use for me right now. Then we also shoot weddings. In those cases, usually one of us has a zoom and one of us has a prime. Ideally, I, I like shooting with multiple bodies at once. I'd love to have Mm -hmm. like a, uh, 85 and a 35 or like a 50 and a something else. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so like a 50 millimeter to get the, the shallow depth of field or the, I don't know, yeah, just basically for the blur a lot of the time. And then the mm-hmm. other person shooting with a, a zoom because you need the range at an event. If you can't yeah. control the situation at all, it's really hard to get everything that you need. If you only have a prime lens. Yeah. And then you're, you're constantly jockeying between, between things and you, you're missing moments because of that. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, it's, you sacrifice something. So in, in, a, in an interesting way, you answered the, my question, which was why, why would you want to have a zoom? And that, you know, like, I think that, you know, it goes back to our, to the earlier point where we were talking about like people's idea of, of what they're going to capture. And they want to have this huge range of opportunity. Mm-hmm. 
right? But in, in the real world, making great photographs, you know, that huge range of opportunity is more limiting, in my opinion, because you're, you're not really looking for a composition within the range that you have. You're, you're just, you're kind of looking for whatever's available well, throughout this, this huge range. What would you, you know, the desert island, what's your desert island lens? You've got one lens and one body. Mm. Um, you know, what, what do you just bring around with you all the time? What can, what could carry you furthest in, in life? It's hard. Um, I, I, I'm going to have to just say the 35. Um, yeah, like it's, you know, like I, I have just a love affair with my, uh, my Nikon DF and the the Sigma 35 one, four art lens. Um, those two together have been quite amazing in, for me. Cause I, I find that, you know, I can get close with that lens and it, you know, like I can, it's just really versatile. I can get close. Um, I can shoot fast. Remind you me, know. is the DF full frame? The DX D, D. or the DF. Yeah. The DF is full frame. Yeah. Okay. So it's, yeah. it's a, yeah, yeah. So you are talking about true 35. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. And I just, I, I find that to be my most comfortable. Like I tried to, I love a 50 also, but like, I love 50 if I'm shooting people and I know that it's what I'm shooting, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like 15 and 85 or, or those are people lenses to me. I don't really think of them as being anything else. But how often are you not shooting people? Like, are there a lot of days that you go out and plan to start shooting, but there's not going to be people in your shots? Um, yeah, there are. That's, it's not as often. Most of my um, commercial or stock work is going to be centered around people. And then some of it is going to be food, <laughs> but it's funny because neither of those things I use the 35 for, but you know, when I'm just out and about, I feel like the 35 is the thing that's going to be the most versatile thing for me to have. And the thing I'm going to use, which is also why I love carrying around, um, a Fuji X 100 S. Is it, it's, that's what the equivalent is built into it. Yeah, because it's it's you know what's a twenty three or whatever, which it makes it a thirty five in the crop sensor. So find the focus fast enough on that thing. Uh, yeah, that's the that's the downside. It's a slow focus machine, but <laughs> yeah, but I love the idea of the fixed focal length, more compact camera. I think it's brilliant, and I'm surprised it actually took so long for the larger sensor fixed lens thing to actually yeah you got really quiet did you notice that oh no i didn't because i'm not monitoring myself how about okay. now that's a little bit too loud just how between about the... now yeah that seems good okay <laughs> Let's go with that. yeah i don't know it's funny because, like if i'm if i know if i'm shooting people like i want my 50 and my 85 if i'm shooting specifically for stock then i'll probably take my my 70 to 1 or 70 to 200 mm -hmm. and the 50 and maybe also the 35, just because it's like, you know, yeah. And I I usually end up always hating myself for having a heavy bag. Yeah. Do you, is that what you, is that like a normal kit for you? That's those, those three lenses. Um, it was like, I actually have, have started to leave the 270 or the 70 to 200 at home because it's so heavy. Mm -hmm. So I, I'd say a normal kit for me is, is having a 35, 50 and an 85. That's fair. Well, and yeah. I can, that. I can see why a lot of people get attracted to the uh, micro four thirds or just more compact cameras for that purpose. I mean, shooting on a Fuji kit with mm -hmm. those three lenses would be, um, it'd be about the equivalent weight of the Sigma 50 and a 5D. Yeah. It'd be sweet. And you could put them all in one pocket. Yeah. But if you could well, get the same okay performance. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. If you could get the same performance with it, I would, I don't, I don't know who wouldn't trade that. Yeah. It'd make me less interested in, in zooms. If I could, if I could pocket three prime lenses all at once. Yeah. But I mean, going back to the, to the bigger question, it's just like, so if you are kind of an amateur and you're, you're wondering what, what's the, what's the, the, the real, what's the deal between zooms and primes? It's like, to me, it's, it's a matter of specifically what you're shooting. If you want, if you're shooting weddings, if you're shooting events, you have to have zooms. Mm-hmm. And, um, especially if you only have one body, which is crazy if you're shooting weddings, you know, I, th- I feel, I feel like having to constantly trade or change out your, your lenses while in action is just, it's not a good idea no, at all. It's, it's misery. Yeah. It's, it's awful. And you miss a lot of shots and you're, and then you're constantly looking for excuses not to have to change your lens. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. You know? And then, so you're making, uh, you know, compromises that may or may not be good for what you're doing. Um, and you know, furthermore, like, I think that if you're going to learn how to take great photos, maybe this is going back a little bit too far into my own training, but like when I was in school, they, they were, they were saying, you know, like, well, if you're going to have a zoom fine, but just like stick it on 50 and leave it there and learn how to take a good photo at 50 and then, and then move on. And I think that, you know, like why not take that to the next level and just in, you know, if you're just starting out and you're not even starting out with just getting serious, like buy a 50 millimeter 1.8 lens. They're great. They're cheap. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're going to learn more about photography on a, on that lens than you're going to on a like 18 to 55 or 24 to 70 or something. It's a must recommendation for anybody Yeah, starting out. The thing that I find people will be frustrated with after is that they're usually also getting a crop sensor camera to start with. So maybe a Rebel. And putting a 50 on that makes it closer to an 80 80 something. And uh, that can, that's a little less versatile than a true 50. And I think they, I don't know. I've, I've heard complaints, but yeah. And that's, that's, that's valid. Like, I think if you're going to get a crop sensor, then you should get the 35. Yeah. Well, unfortunately though, the 35, it's not as cheap for in Canon. It's much more expensive for the 35 2.0. Oh, too bad. It's like three, it's over $300 instead of 150. So yeah. So at Nikon, you can get the, uh, the 35 1.8 DX lens, which is usually about, uh, you know, 180 bucks. Wait, am I right about this? I'm not sure. Well, you, you keep but, talking, I'll tell you. But. Yeah. So in, in, but in, in Nikon, you can get, you know, you can get like the, the D5300 and the 35 DX 1.8 and you're going to spend a small amount of money and, in, in Quite honestly, like if you have good ideas, your photos are going to be awesome mm-hmm. with that combination. Yeah. My internet's you know, not working, so I don't have an answer. <laughs> uh, which is weird because we're on Skype. But yeah, that doesn't know. make any sense. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that it kind of limits what people usually want to do, that there can be that that price difference. I mean, when somebody's starting out, a hundred dollar difference for lens is a lot more intimidating than as you get further along and you know, you start counting the multiple hundreds when you, when you make your decisions, if, um, if your income depends on it. So, yeah, no, there's no question. It's, it's a tough call. And, you know, I think it just demands, that's why I always ask people though, like what, you know, why do you want to buy a DSLR? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what's after, yeah. What's the advantage? Cause if we're going to talk zooms, we got to talk DSLRs. Cause if you're, if you're buying, you know, like a, 
what's the what's the canon the g13 or whatever yeah we're up to 16 16 now <laughs> the g series like those those are really great consumer pocket cameras that do a good job of everything yeah basically yeah they really do and um that's what you we know, bring it, around when we're not going to take out an slr we just grab the g16 yeah and it's it's you know you can put it in your pocket comfortably and you can take it to concerts and you can you know it'll give you reasonable results and you can you know you have a, a nice range mm -hmm. so i mean really if if that's what you're after then i would just always suggest getting something like that or maybe the new those sony's right right well and, and in those cases also look at the look more at the lens the the sharpness or the speed look at the speed more so than the range Mm -hmm. Those travel zooms that I was talking about getting 300 times or I don't, I don't know how they measure them on those compact cameras, <laughs> but it's uh, not as important as if you can get 2.8 or something like that, it'd be a lot more helpful to you and 2.8 yeah. through with the whole zoom range as well. So when you're wide or zoomed in. Yeah. Is Which is, I think that that's, that's an important, that's an important way of like actually recognizing you know, what a quality lens versus a, a crappy zoom lens is in general is, is, is whether or not it has a constant aperture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a, just a quick way to spot it. If it is not constant, then it's, it's a piece probably. of crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's really hard to recommend anybody start with any of those. The only, you can get a kit zoom because it's free. That's the only mm -hmm. reason I think you should start with a kit zoom because Absolutely. it's just dirt cheap but it's they are they're not very good any of them no they're oh, they're really well, they're really not but I, I you know nikon's 18 to 55 is actually like a pretty sharp mm -hmm. lens i mean it's 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 an amazing piece of machinery actually because it's it's worth nothing mm -hmm. and you can't resell it, it. <laughs> no I mean, it's it's made out of plastic and glass and the fact that it's as good as it is is, is actually it's pretty rad if you're yeah. just buying something that's crappy you know but so like if you're gonna buy that kit like okay buy a 35 or 50 as well yeah yeah i think so too because and, uh, and also the, the, the things that i see the worst of in the canons are the chromatic aberration is huge mm. on those it just it's the worst case is when you can spot that it's a cheap lens without zooming in it's not even 100 percent sharpness it's just the whole image you know either the corners are a bit soft or the and and there's a lot of lenses that have that look. I don't know, but I think the Canon updated their kit lens since I would have tried the last one. So I don't know, but I can't speak to the new one. But well, also the the uh, the ultra wides or the super wides. That's mm -hmm. another problem with with those ones is that um, if you don't get, I have to say especially you know with those ultra wides, if you don't buy the pro version, like don't even bother. Yeah, because it's useless. <laughs> Well, I want to get to like one more thing, actually, just speaking mm -hmm. of which lenses to buy, like to kind of wrap it up, the Sigma discussion, which mm -hmm. we've had a lot ourselves that suddenly Sigma went from being this backwater third party, whatever lens you don't really recommend to anybody to <laughs> the, the lens maker, um, the, the gold standard, I think the 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 51.4 and the 35 1.4 have now set the bar for slr full frame um yeah it makes no sense everything it makes no sense to me whatsoever i have no idea how this happened the first um the first non-nikon lens that i bought was a 
I guess it was a 28 to 300. No, this is 70 to 300 Sigma. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it wasn't a constant aperture. Yeah, and this is a yeah. long time ago. Yeah. I had a and, like that. Yeah. And it, it was the absolute worst piece of crap. And you know, when you would try to focus it, it just it, like you could, it felt like you were like crashing a bicycle, you know, like it, <laughs> it sounds oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It Gears just, it crunching. Yeah. There was nothing about that, that, that was right or normal. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was, that was my, my view of Sigma and, and like, and it rightly was so for a long time, even their yeah. primes that even their expensive professional stuff had mm -hmm. mixed results. There's fans. There's a lot of, I know there's fanboys out there of the older Sigma stuff, but a lot of people had a lot of problems with it too. In, really inconsistent focusing and, um, yeah, exactly. And now the new ones, you know, uh, I do think that the, the Nikon and Canon stuff probably still has a slight edge in terms of, you know, fast focusing and, and you're just like uh, focusing in, in very low light, you know, which kind of goes against the whole point of why you would want one of these Sigmas mm -hmm. is because they're low light. Yeah. Um, I personally haven't had a lot of problems. I don't find. I, yeah. For me, you have the 35 and I have the 50, right? That's the. Yeah, I have both. Yeah, and I don't think we've ever noticed the slowness of focusing to be a problem. What, no. what the biggest problem, though, in case anybody else is running into it, is I actually found that our 50 was way off until it was calibrated to the camera. Mm -hmm. um, the The default focus was just completely wrong, and that's not not okay. And a lot of people would never try to do the micro adjustments in camera. And if if I hadn't, I probably would have been a lot more frustrated with it. Yeah. And so if you get the dock, you can actually, you can fix that in, right, in the, right. there's a software that Sigma lets you, it's the same micro adjustment that you're making in the camera, but you're just doing it on the lens, which is interesting. Idea. It's just yeah. too bad. I, I had imagined it would come with the, <laughs> the lens. Right. Well, it's cheap. Is it? How, how much is it? Do you know? It's like 59 US. Okay. Yeah. So if you're, you know, if you're, if you're going to have more than one, then I'd recommend getting it, you know? Yeah. And I think uh, gradually a lot of people are going to be replacing their whole Canon kit. Yeah. You know, you know this is actually, <laughs> I'm really glad that we brought up Sigma because um, Sigma created in their art series, a lens that, that is, it's probably, I haven't used it because I don't have a crop sensor, but if mm -hmm. I did have a crop sensor, I would buy it right now. Yeah. And it's the, okay. the 18 to 35 one constant 1.8. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Was, I, I know it was, uh, like DP review, put it as lens of the year last year. Like it's the coolest thing ever. Yeah, it's really, <laughs> I mean, if really you're cool. using a crop sensor and you want to, you know, a normal zoom, I don't know why you'd think of anything else. Yeah, frankly. it's not a huge range, but um, it, the quality looks great. The 1.8 is mind blowing. It seems like a typo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be that fast. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. But it is not a big range. That's, that is for sure. But. Oh no, it, but yeah, definitely. If, if we, if we had any crop sensors, it would be on the shopping list for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I don't shoot sports, but if you do shoot sports, Sigma is also making a telephoto that it's in that same series. It's not an art lens, I don't think, but it has the same look. Right. I've, oh, I don't remember the range. I've heard great things though. And yeah, it's, it's a one, are... it's 150 to 600. <laughs> and what's the aperture? Well, it's not a constant, but oh, this it's... This isn't the one I was looking at then. 
Okay, so this one is, oh, no, no, hold on. Okay, so there's two, right? That one is, um, the 150-600 is, uh, it's a floating aperture between 5 and 6.3. Okay. But then they also have a 120-300 to 300 that's a constant 2.8. And that's it's also cool. um, and it's also stabilized. Yeah, that's really nice. But it's probably still cheaper than the Canon. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. No. Oh, no. Okay. I mean, as, as far as like, if I'm comparing it to the uh, the seventy to two hundred Nikon, this one costed about a thousand dollars more. Okay, that's quite a bit more. Mm -hmm. It's so. That I mean, once nice. you get yeah, once you get into to that range, I think that they all kind of level out to some degree. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really curious where where Sigma is going to be in another few years, and especially where Canon's going to be. The pressures are really on. Well, and I suppose Nikon as well. They both need to just completely change what they're doing. Like somebody is probably stopped the presses a year ago and said, "We need to fix this." <laughs> but it's strange. What Canon's strategy has been is actually they're adding IS to a lot of their primes. That's their first thing they're doing. So there's going to be like 50 IS, and I think there's a. I, I'm not going to say all the numbers because I don't remember, but I know they've they're rolling out stabilized primes that's before they update that is so curious yeah it's interesting it's great for video that's the first argument for it really great doesn't for video doesn't it make a lot of noise though no no no, no. and well i mean it makes some noise but you if you're doing on-camera audio then it's it's all right off anyway you can hear you can hear the focusing more than the image stabilization i find but if you're doing a real video you, the mic is somewhere else anyway right okay that makes sense so i have the uh nikon 105 2.8 macro lens which is the only prime lens that i have that has the the stabilization yeah maybe we don't have any but it's interesting i don't know it's curious it's, it's loud <laughs> oh, oh, okay yeah, I don't but know. i mean yeah i mean if you're using it correctly then then that's not an issue right right Right. So. All right. Well, I think that was that was a lot to say about zooms and primes. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up and do this again sometime. Yeah, for sure. Zooms or boo in my book. <laughs> Unless you're shooting weddings. Unless you need them. And then it's, you desperately need them and they're the most important thing. Yeah. And the rest but of you have, terrible. But you have to buy the best one. <laughs> Sorry. There's Actually, no cheap. Yeah, this would be a different conversation. If we're talking about just cheap stuff, it's all garbage. If we're talking about the pro <laughs> stuff, there's there's plenty of nice options. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so where can people find you on the internet, Cameron? Um, I am most visible on uh, Stocksy.com. So it's Stocksy.com forward slash Camrocker. You can also find me at Twitter slash Camrocker. And uh, right now I'm rebuilding my website, so that's not available. Or you can also find seat. me. <laughs> yeah, well, I just got a new logo and I'm totally excited. I so. saw it. It looked great. Yeah, I just got 20 revisions. So <laughs> um, the other thing is on Instagram at uh, Cameron, which is spelled K-A-M-M-E-R-U-N. So Great. that's where I'm at. And you can find me, uh, Stallman, on Twitter and Stallman on Instagram and Stallman.com to see the portfolio that I shoot with my wife, Anya. And I got to have her on here sometime, too. You do? Yeah. Well, uh, let's keep doing this. Yeah, for sure. I'll see you next week. All right. Take care. Bye.